You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Welcome, church. Today's Bible reading is from Psalm chapter 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer me, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. This is the word of God. All right. Hey, it's great to see a bunch of new people here this morning. Thanks for joining us. I think you're new. It's hard to tell with masks, so you might just have been here for years, and so I don't know, we'll, f- we'll figure it out afterwards, I guess. <laughs> Welcome to church. Uh, my name is John Hargrave. I've been here <laughs> for 15 years. If you are new, you probably don't know about our little tradition that we have. Uh, Every time summer comes around, every time we get into a new year, we start a series called Psalms of Summer. This is the eighth time at it. Uh, And this year we're going to extend it to be a true Psalms of Summer by going all the way through to to March. So um, this is a time of year that I really enjoy because... Uh, I'm a bit of an artist, and uh, I like poetry, and these, the, the psalms are, are songs, they're poems, um, and they're, they're poems that really plumb the depths of human experience and emotion. Um, John Calvin, the great reformer and, and, and Bible teacher, called the psalms, uh, I think he said they're an, an, uh, an anatomy of all parts of the soul. So everything that you can experience in your soul as a human, is kind of put to paper in the book of Psalms. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 13, which, as you just heard, is a short psalm, but it's an example of a psalm of lament. And uh, actually, one-third of the, of the 150 psalms are psalms of lament, and I thought it would be really good for us to take a look at this psalm this morning and to see it as kind of a how-to um, how to lament because uh, while ancient people like the people of Israel at the time this was written were good at lamenting and while some people from some cultures in the world today are good at lamenting if you're from this culture if you're from a, a, a western secular humanist culture you're probably not good at it you probably don't even know what it is to lament and frankly I'm the worst person to be trying to tell you how to do it. I, I, I just am. Um, uh, which is a great reason to rejoice in the fact that the preacher is just a conduit for God's word and his, his movement by his spirit. Uh, it's times like these that I'm grateful that actually um, any authority I have is just derivative of God's authority and the authority of his word. When I uh, had just turned eight years old, I was woken up, I think it was about three o'clock, I don't know, it was still dark, woken up along with my two brothers. 
Uh, I think my younger sister was one year old. She she was left asleep. But the three of us boys were ushered into my parents' room by my dad. The the vicar of the church was there, and my mum wasn't there anymore. She had just died after a, a very short, sharp battle with cancer. And uh, I have very, as you might expect, very vivid memories of of that of that night and uh, I remember uh, my dad saying to me uh, kind of telling us to go and give her a kiss and uh, I remember giving her a kiss and for the first time ever having an expression of affection um, be perfectly unreciprocated do you know what I mean? Like I gave my mum a kiss and for the first time ever there was, n- there was nothing coming back. And uh, yeah, ever since that day, I have made it my business, made it my mission not to experience pain, not to experience sadness. Uh, all through school, I-, I frequently was reminded of the necessity not to show any kind of weakness, not to show any sadness. Um, and it, to be honest, not to let anyone know that I, I was different from them in this fundamental way. And so I have, over the last, I don't know, what is it, nearly 32 years since then, I have become very good at suppressing pain, suppressing Sadness, suppressing grief or disappointment. Uh, I find the best way to do it, and this is completely subconscious, uh, the best way to do it is to get angry. The best way to uh, turn grief down is to treat it with anger. It just makes it disappear. It's like salt on a, on a, on a leech. Um, anyway, this isn't a counselling session for me, but this, this is the reason why I'm... No, I'm no one to tell you how to lament. Uh, in fact, just to be honest, this sermon is for me. I'm really grateful that you're here and you get to, you get to join in. But this is for me. This is, this is what I need to hear right now. And I, I trust there is some overlap for you as well. And I trust that as, as we go through this psalm together, that God will help us to see a better way. I'm going to talk this morning, look at, just looking at this Psalm 13 as kind of a model lament. I'm going, to, I'm going to look at sort of the four elements of lament. And just at this point, maybe I just need to address someone in the congregation who might be feeling, as I felt, um, as, I, as I decided to go with this, this, this theme and this psalm, like the, my initial thought was, uh, we shouldn't do this because it's the first Sunday of the year. And New Year is all about like new beginnings and happiness and joy and like maybe we should do a psalm that's really upbeat and 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 leave the lament thing for you know I don't know winter or something like that and uh, that was my first thought and and my other thought was that like is it is it okay to instruct a bunch of Christians on how to lament uh, like aren't Christians meant to be full of the joy of the Lord? Like, aren't we meant to be the ones out of everyone who has a smile on our dial? And, you know, like, 
just operates out of a sense of gratitude and thanksgiving. Like, isn't, like, isn't that what it says? In, like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, verse 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will? Rejoicing. Thanksgiving. So where does a sermon on how to lament well fit in with that imperative? Here's here's how I think it works. I think in order for that to be your experience, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks and everything, I think if that's going to be true of you, then you won't be able to get there without lament. You won't be able to get to rejoicing without lamenting first. Because as we have seen, actually in the Advent series, we touched on this a little bit, as we've seen, the normal human experience of life in this world, right? Life in this age, between the first Advent of Jesus and his second one, life in this age is fraught. We live in a tension Life will disappoint us. I mean, we're all sitting in a room wearing masks, right? That's just evidence of the fact that life can go badly for us. Life is a struggle. And so if that's true, if it's true that the default human experience is one of suffering and pain, then in order to get to rejoice always, you'll need to figure out how to lament Here's why. Because lament is not just expressing sadness or grief. It's a journey that takes you from pain to trust. From pain to trust. Here's one definition. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. That's what lament is. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. It leads somewhere. Biblical lament always, as we're going to see, always has its destination in trust, which is the foundation for rejoicing and giving thanks in the midst of pain. I really love how this guy Mark Rogop says it. He says, lament is the prayer language for God's people as they live in a world marred by sin. It is how we talk to God about our sorrows as we renew our hope in his sovereign care. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. So I want to take a look at this psalm. As I said, I want to see it as a kind of a model to teach us how to lament well. In the season that you're in now, marked by suffering and pain, or in the season you're about to fall into, marked by suffering and pain, what should our response to that experience be? What are the elements of lament that will help take us from pain to trust, even if the pain remains? So, number one, first element is to turn. Okay, these the, I'll give you the four up front. So it's turn, complain, ask, trust. Turn, complain, ask, trust. First of all, it's the, the, the first step is to turn 
to turn to God. All right? Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, I've got to tell you, I read that and I think, whoa, that's kind of bold. Like, where, uh, the lightning bolt's coming. But here's what, here's what I've come to see in that verse is, is not, not a kind of petulant shaking of the fist at God, wringing of the hands, but actually a profound demonstration of trust. He turns to God. He addresses God in the, in the midst of his pain. How long, Lord? I've got to tell you, the, my, my Christian life, I got saved at 19. So the last 19 years. Yeah. The last 19 years. I, my, my experience of pain, my kind of, um, my response to suffering has not been to turn to God. To be honest. Like I've fallen down at the first step. I think I've probably, I don't know why this is. Maybe I've seen it as an abdication of responsibility. Like I got myself into this mess, so I'm not just going to go to God with I need to hunker down and get, get stuff done, right? Or maybe I believe that lie, which by the way is nowhere in the Bible. Maybe I believe that lie that, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Nonsense. I've fallen down at the first step over and over and over again. And here's, here's what I think that demonstrates. I think it just demonstrates that I forgot who I was. I think it just shows that I've forgotten who I am. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Right? I'm a child of God. What could be not more natural than for a child in the midst of pain to run to their father. That ought to be the automatic response of someone who knows who they are, who knows that their identity is a child. Yesterday I took my kids, India and Judah, we went off to Lerderderg State Park and we did, we did a little hike and... Um, and uh, there's about 700 other people on the main trail, so we decided we'd go off into the, onto the, into the wilderness. And, um, and India was leading the way, being very intrepid and leading us up this very kind of jaggy kind of rock face. And uh, we were making our way to this spot where we would have this l- nice little view of the river and we could have a, stop and have a snack. And... Um, I'm trying not to let that blinking light get to me, so I hope you're doing the same thing. Um, we got to this, we, we, we got halfway up this, this very slippery, jaggy rock, and Judah, my seven year old boy, just halfway up, just called out, Daddy, and grabbed a hold of my hand. And my response was to throw him in the river and tell him off for coming to me uh, with his problem. No, my, my response. <laughs> My response, even as a terrible father, my response was to reach down and pick him up and reassure him that it was going to be okay and then 
take him by the hand and lead him the rest of the way. That was my response to the most natural thing that a child can do in the midst of fear. And so what's the first, what's the first element of lament? It's, it's saying, Daddy, I need you. Romans 8, I love this, just all of Romans 8, but Romans 8, verse 15 to 16, it says, you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption. You've been adopted. You're a child of God. That's not based on how you feel about yourself this morning or your track record of holiness this week. You've been adopted. It's out of your hands. My younger sister was adopted. We adopted her when she was five months old from an orphanage in, Sa- in Seoul, in South Korea. She had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Instead, you, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. When was the last time that you just called out, Daddy? Turn to God. Second thing is to complain. Make your complaint. Verse 2 of Psalm 13. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Again, just, just take this as read. I've failed to do this. Most of my Christian life, I've failed. I've failed to do this because I thought it was wrong. Like, in the, the, just the way I've been brought up, I guess, or, or I don't know, just the way I am, to complain is to dishonour. The, the honourable thing is to keep a stiff upper lip and just kind of bear with it. You ordered something in the restaurant, they gave you something completely different. It's all right, don't, just don't complain about it. That would be dishonouring to the person who took the order or cooked the meal or whatever it is. And so I have, I've had this experience in my relationship with God that to complain would be to dishonour him. But actually, the reverse is true. And it's not hard to see why this is. In the midst of pain and suffering, to withhold my honest experience of suffering would be to dishonour God. I mean, I know it's obvious. To complain to God is a deep expression of trust in God because I'm complaining to the one who I believe cares. You don't complain to people who you don't think are going to care for you. It just compa- it compounds the pain. Like the other day, I was, uh, just yesterday, I was trying to print some stuff to the printer in our church and every time I printed it, the printer just deleted the thing that I printed it was so frustrating. Five times over, I was trying to print this thing and it just would not print it. I could do nothing about it. All I could do was stand there and say, why, printer? Why are you doing this to me? The printer does not care. It has zero feelings for me at all, good or bad. Uh, I would say if it has any feelings for me, they're all bad, all right? It's just... 
It's a malevolent force. God is not like that. He's not indifferent. I mean, you can, you can, you can damn the universe all you like, and you can curse your bad luck. The universe and luck do not care for you. They are indifferent. But God cares. Why do, we compl- why do we complain to God? It's because he cares for us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 to 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's the only reason you would cast any cares on him is because he cares for you. Nice little wordplay there from Peter. You cast cares on God purely because he cares for you. Now, this is not the thing that I fear when it comes to complaining to God. This is the thing that I fear is a petulant, hand-wringing, yelling at God, emptying my anger on him. This is not that. This is a humble, right? Humble yourselves. This is a humble, honest description explanation, illustration to God of the, of the pain and the anxiety and the disappointment and the frustration and the suffering that I'm going through. By the way, all of which he knows about already. So humbly coming before God and saying, how long, Lord, How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? How long will my my enemy dominate me? You turn to God. You complain. The third step is to ask. ask. Ask boldly for God's help. And for the third time, this is an expression of trust, isn't it? You don't ask for help from people who can't. When you go to God and you say, I need you to do this. I need you to help me. I need you to relieve this pain. I need you to rescue me from, me, me from this set of circumstances. What you're doing is saying, God, you can. And I pray that you will. Psalm 13, uh, verse 3 to 4. Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. He goes to God and he asks, he says, please restore me. Please rescue me. Please take this set of circumstances I'm in and change it. By your sovereign power, overcome the circumstances I find myself in. The truth is that if you go through any kind of sustained season of suffering, you will probably end up 
in one of two places. You will end up in despair or in denial. Right? Despair is, this is hopeless. There is no way out for me. Despair is the dominant experience of people who kill themselves. Or just of people who give up. Give up hope. There is no rescue for me. There is no way out of this for me. I'm finished. Despair or probably equally worse, equally as bad, denial, which is what I described to you in my last 32 years of life. Just denial. (laughs) It'll be okay. Get through this. It's got to toughen up. Grit your teeth and bear it. Stiff up a lip. She'll be right. We come to church. You got that painted on smile. Helps with, you got a mask now, you could literally just paint it on and it would be the same as what you normally show up with anyway. Just this facade. Got the joy of the Lord. Things are completely disintegrating inside. Asking God to do something in the midst of those circumstances will save us from the inevitability of denial and despair. Asking God for help actually helps us rehearse trust in his promises and his power. Now notice nowhere in scripture does it give you a guarantee that when you ask, you will be delivered. It doesn't. But even the practice of asking God for help helps train us to be hopeful in the midst of hopeless situations. And yes, God does hear and God does answer our prayers. I think the best example of this is our own Lord Jesus. Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, the night he was betrayed. Jesus, full of anxiety and anguish. Jesus, so taught with foreboding that his, the capillaries in his skin burst and he sweats blood. Jesus throwing himself on the ground and asking that this cup, symbolic of the suffering that he was about to experience, that this cup would, be, would pass by him. Jesus is such a good model for us of lament. Jesus in the final days before he dies shows us how to lament well. And it's great for people like me who are nervous about getting into this that we might dishonour God. Jesus demonstrates for us how a sinless person laments. And it's real. It's raw. It's bloody sweat. It's tears. 
we turn to God. We make our complaint. We boldly ask for help. And finally, we trust. We choose to trust in God. With no guarantees about the outcome ahead of time. We don't know if we're going to be like Lazarus raised from the dead after three days in the tomb or if we're going to be like Jesus who drinks full the cup of God's wrath. Or Paul who pleads with God to relieve him of this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan and has a response, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. With no guarantee of deliverance, we choose to trust in God. This is how the psalmist says it, verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 13. But I have trusted in your faithful love. Notice that? But, like in spite of my current circumstances that I have not yet been delivered from, but... I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. That's rejoice in all circumstances. That's give thanks in the midst of suffering. We choose to trust in God. Now, our human nature will tell us that what we ought to do is, yes, turn and complain and ask, but then our human nature will say, now wait, wait and see. If things turn out well, then, yep, we'll definitely trust because what? Trust is earned. So God, we've got a deal here. I complain, you act, then I trust. That's what our human nature tells us to do. That's not biblical lament. Sure, we're boosted in our trust on the basis of God delivering us in the past and in our hopeful deliverance that he will demonstrate in the future, but it's not on the basis of that deliverance that we renew our trust in God. Our flesh says, I will renew my trust when God renews my circumstances. But Christian lament is not, frankly, not so self-centered as all of that. Christian lament takes seriously and mindfully the suffering that we're going through. It freely and honestly and humbly shares that with God, our real-world experience of pain and suffering. It moves from that to asking him for deliverance. And then while we wait, while we sit in the tension of that now and not yet, while we wait for God to act on our behalf, we choose to see God as the benevolent, all-wise Father, Abba, Daddy, who is with us in the midst of pain, who suffered himself 
brutally on the cross and who promises to work all things for our good and ultimately to renew all things, to restore us. to usher us into a kingdom in which there is no more lament. We have that vision of the end of lament from Revelation chapter 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. I just want you to put yourself in, the, in this situation because if you're trusting Jesus, this is you. This is you. Sometime in the future, this is you. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain, and lament will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That's where we're headed. And in the meantime, we cry out to God and ask for a taste of that in the here and now. We turn to God and we complain and we plead for help. And ultimately, we choose to trust him. All of this, everything I've just said, is a complete waste of time unless we start doing it, unless we start practicing it. It's not for nothing that God has given us these words, not simply for our consolation, not simply for our encouragement, but for our instruction. All scripture is God-breathed and useful. Useful. Use it. It's useful. For rebuke and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. So what I'm going to pray now is just that we would do it that you would take 30-something years of just maladaptive practices and that you would take what God has given you in his word as a, as a guide, as a pathway. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. I need, I need your help more than anyone else. Lord, some of us come from cultures that are blessed with a rich tradition of lamentation. And we've been instructed well how to lament. Most of us, I fear, haven't. And so we've grown up with all of these ways of dealing with pain that are just causing more pain. Some of us have ended up in despair and we believe that there is no hope for us. 
And some of us are firmly entrenched in denial. Just painting on this facade of happiness while we're falling apart within. Please help us. Lord, please guide us as a church, this Red Door Church. We have this symbol from the book of Exodus, this red door which speaks of refuge and of rescue. We run to the red door, Lord. We ask for your help. Please show us a better way. Train us by your word to be people of lament. Help us to do this as a church. Lord, we have this Psalm 13 written for a congregation to lament together. Help us to do that better. And help us as individuals, as families and households, help us to be able to figure out a way of lamenting that leads to greater trust. Yeah. Help us, Lord. Help us for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.